Okay, this is sermon number one. <laughs> Kay and I um, had said to each other after the first weekend that we spent uh, meeting officers and uh, elders primarily and, and staff that of the five or six times we'd done that in our life, it was the very best weekend we'd ever had. Um, and it's only continued to be that for us. You all have been gracious and kind. We feel like we're meeting so many people that we're eager to be deeper and deeper friends with. It's pretty amazing so far. Don't, so don't mess it up, okay? So. <laughs> um, and I'm a bit, everything's a bit foreign. I'm not familiar and, you know, so please show patience. Uh, I know you will as I learn the ropes of our, our worship and uh, other aspects of, of ministry, which I'm all eager to learn. Uh, eager to, for us to move ahead in the promises and power and goodness of God that always showers upon his people in every circumstance. And so we welcome his great work in our midst, even now. So we're going to be in Romans 8, uh, not a great, not a bad spot in my mind. It's actually where I ended uh, my time at Fort Worth Presbyterian a couple of years ago. Uh, one of my favorite sections of scripture, one of the most encouraging, out, uh, astounding passages. And we will go from verse 12 to the end of the chapter, not all today, uh, but over the next uh, several months. So we begin in verse 12, and we'll read through verse 17. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. That's the reading of God's word. Let us pray. O oh Lord, bless us with understanding, with eagerness, with a receptive heart, with a desire to know and to live out your word, which can only come by your Holy Spirit. Oh, Lord, bless us and equip us by your gracious word. We ask this for the glory of Jesus. Amen. This passage is all about our adoption. And that's the very title is the uh, living as the adopted ones. And the, the whole passage outlines what we're to be and to do as children of God as newly adopted. You may have heard stories like this, but I heard of one particular story where 
a little boy was adopted by a family uh, in uh, America. A little boy was from Russia, three or four years old. And the very first meal, a breakfast, we're all eating, all enjoying the meal. And the mom and dad watch as he slips biscuits off the plate, puts them in his pocket. Probably wadded five or six biscuits in two pockets. And they find out, of course, that where he came from, if you've got that much food on the table, you better grab it because it won't be there in the next meal. It won't be there tomorrow because food was limited and you grab what you could. So he had to learn to live as an adopted child, to learn the rules, but in this case, to learn the provision to learn the abundance. What is yours as an adopted child? And this passage delves into that. What you must do and by God's grace can do. Because now you're no longer in the flesh or living for yourself as we will explore. But you are adopted. You are in God's family. So we're going to look at this subject, just the first part of your outline of the new obedience of the adopted. And we'll look at the new future next week. The three things that we'll touch upon, obligation, death, and family. Obligation, death, and family. We just go through the text in that order. Now, kids, I will give you two or three things each week to listen for, uh, so that may help you keep up and wait for that next thing. The three things are up, U-Haul, and the name of a certain pop star, okay? Up, U-Haul, and the name of a pop star. Let's look at then obligation. Notice he says, he begins, so then brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Now, flesh here basically means living for ourselves without reference to God, without reference to what God wants. I'm doing my thing and not God's thing. Living for something else or someone else besides God himself. In fact, Paul describes becoming a Christian or describes the purpose of, of Christ's death in this way. You may be familiar with it in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 15. He says, he died that we who live should no longer live for ourselves, but live for him. That's a way to describe every person outside of Christ. They're fundamentally living for themselves. Or we could say they're living in the flesh. And he says that those who, that, that Christ died so that that would no longer be the case, that we would live for ourselves, but that we would begin to live for him. Those are the same categories here, either living in the flesh or living in the spirit, that is living for Christ. Flesh means me ahead of God. 
Flesh means what I want is more important than what God wants. And this is, the Bible uses radical language, as we see here, put to death. But listen to what Paul says in Galatians 5. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So there's a certain initial break from our former life in which we declare to everything we've been and a living life for ourselves, you now are dead to me. I no longer will feed you. I no longer will nurture you. I'm against you. Anything that opposes God in me, I oppose. Anything that's against God in me, now I will be against that. So there's this initial, we have crucified the flesh and its desires and passions. And that launches us into this daily life of putting sin to death. But here he says, you have no obligation to the flesh. You have no obligation to the way you used to live. This includes, we have no obligation to the limits of the flesh, to the weakness and incapacities of the flesh. We can't say, this is the way I've always been. You don't know, my daddy had this problem, I guess I will always have this problem. We men like to use that when somebody's getting in under our skin about how maybe we're loving our wives. Well, yeah, I just, I guess I'm kind of a boisterous type, a little angry sometimes, but that's just the way I am, right? That's giving in to the flesh, but you have no obligation to that flesh, to its limits. Its limits do not set the boundaries of your life the parameters of your life. You are not doomed to what you have been. You are not doomed to that part of you. This fosters an unbelief in God, an unbelief in his power, in the promises to change us. And if we here and over time don't do anything about particular aspects of our lives, we refuse to, or we say, I just can't do it. Even in light of the promises and power of God, I just, I can't do it. Then this inactivity, this statement of I can do nothing is really warfare against God. It's warfare against his promises. I cannot be obligated to the flesh in any aspect of it. I have no obligation to it. And the why is even more important in our text. Why? Because if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Living according to the flesh, living out my desires opposed to God is a death trap, Paul is saying. It is dangerous and deadly. There's so many movies where at the end, someone's being flying away in, in, a, in some capacity, a balloon or plane or this or that. And you think they're away until, oh, the villain's hanging on the rope at the end, right? At the end of Chicken Run, 
uh, where, where uh, Rocky and Ginger and all the chickens are riding away in their homemade airplane. If you hadn't seen it, 97% Rotten Tomatoes, you gotta see it. Um, anyway, one of my favorite movies. But then you think you're away, but Mrs. Tweedy, the one who wants to cut them all up and sell them so people can eat them, is hanging on the end of the rope. Or probably even more popular, the movie Up. There's your first clue, kids. Um, and at the end there, Carl and Russell have gotten a, out of the house, which they have to see floating off to its destruction. But now they're on the blimp uh, that Charles Muntz has. And they think they've taken over the blimp in their way, but no, Charles Muntz is hanging on the end of it. The villain is always there, right? Now, what's their obligation to Charles Muntz holding on to that rope? Oh, look at poor Charles. If I cut the rope, then he will fall and hurt himself. I can't do that. I have an obligation to him. You have no obligation to someone who's trying to kill you, right? You abandon Charles Muntz. You abandon Mrs. Tweedy. You get rid of them because they're trying to... That's what Paul is saying. A life lived for myself is a life headed toward final destruction away from God. We have no obligation to them. Just suppose you're at this rope and there are deadly spiders coming after you. You want to cut them off. You want to cut them off. So it's very important for us to realize this is not just a nice thing to do. This is a life and death issue for us to be opposed to our former life or any aspect of our life that is not in line with the will of God. Now that is extremely difficult. And that's why such demanding language is used. So we move from obligation to death, but if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Now I worked uh, one summer as a whole man. A whole man is the guy down, as it sounds, in the hole, drilling down or digging down to bedrock and then they would pour concrete on there. We we're building the Civic Center in downtown Birmingham. Well, at a certain point, as a hall man, you run into part of bedrock, maybe just half or a third of your hole has bedrock and you're bringing these big cylinders down with you. And I could sit there and chop at it all I want to with my, my shovel. The rock's gonna be sitting there. I could kick it, I, I could do whatever. Nothing's going to move that rock except dynamite. So I drill the holes in the right places. They put dynamite in there. We come out of the hole, fire in the hole, put a big concrete uh, uh, tire on top. Boom. And then you blow all that air out so that you won't get too bad a headache with the uh, dynamite dust. But that rock will not move outside of dynamite. There's no, there's no other course. And this 
is a great illustration that sin will not move from your heart outside the Holy Spirit. It is a power of God that must be released in your life if you are to change truly. And I dare say, if you're like me, uh, that fades a lot of times from my realization. That's why I love the Lord's Prayer. Lead me not into temptation. Recognizing I will fall. I'm weak. I must have your grace. Deliver me from evil. To be a heartfelt prayer every day. You know, with clenched fists, so to speak, to realize I'm in danger and, and I am weak. I must have your grace. So it's by the spirit that we put to death the deeds of the body. Earlier in this chapter, he talks about the spirit being in you. And in a synonym, he says, Christ is in you. And that's how Christ is in us through the Holy Spirit. And the way Jesus put it in John 7 is that from your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And John says he was talking about the spirit that was going to be poured out when he's glorified. So the spirit comes to live in us and not in a superficial way, but in our innermost being. And that's where Christ is in our innermost being. That's why in Ephesians 3, Paul says, I pray that you'd be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That may mean that is that Christ may dwell. But you see that the two things are side by side. How does Christ dwell within us? How does he exercise his authority through his Holy Spirit in our innermost being? So Jesus sets up shop in your heart through the Holy Spirit. He exercises his royal authority in the center of your personality right where it counts. That's the potential we have for a new life. That's where your motives are. That's where your, the labyrinth of your heart that you can't even understand. He does understand it. You don't know why you do the things you do sometimes. You don't know why you responded to your husband or wife or children the way you did or to a friend. And you're, you're trying to find out, why did I say that? Why was I so scared? What? All those things. Our life is a whole life of discovering who are we? How do we operate? Why do we do the things we do? How can we change these things? How can we put to death all that opposes God and hurts others? And here is the hope of children, the children of God, is that we can put sin to death through the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 14, he says, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So being led by the Spirit refers to putting sin to death in our life. Being led here is not like finding the will of God, the Spirit leading you to know what you do to do next. But the Spirit leads you to put sin to death, to oppose your own life, to oppose the flesh in your life. That's how the Spirit operates. He becomes, as Paul says in Galatians 2.20, 
Jesus becomes the new I in you. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Of course, he still lives, but he's saying there's a new center of my life. And it's none other than Jesus Christ himself through the Holy Spirit. I am the temple of God. And I can go after sin in my life, whatever it is, however it's pointed out, however it bubbles up. I can go on the attack because his power is active in me. And if the spirit is in me and is acting in me, then I submit to it and yield to it. I depend on it. I count on it. I trust in it and I act on it. You act, you start moving against your sin. You start talking to people about it. If you have to, your husband or wife, you get on the move against your sin. That's years ago when I realized that that's how I was going to grow. <laughs> it's constantly finding out more bad stuff about myself and changing it. I thought, well, that's not a very happy life. <laughs> you know, that's what a prospect actually though. It's a wonderful prospect because it will more and more make me the kind of person that blesses other people and comforts other people. In fact, we should do it for love. Put your sin to death so that you might better love other people, so that you might encourage them more, so that you might recognize their pain more, so that you might bring relief and many spiritual benefits into their lives, nurture and care. We, we nurture a kind of fear and pride complex so that we're, it's very hard for us to admit that we do something wrong. We cover ourselves. You know, the easy version of it is uh, the guy's driving and she says, shouldn't we turn here? I know where we're going. Do we want to look at a map? I know where we're going. You know, now that's a minor thing, but man, blow that up and make it, you know, the way you function. That fear drives pride that refuses to look at anything. Then we're in a bad state. It's kind of like your, our lives are like you move into a house and there's this 15 by 15 yard lot next to your house and it's gone into disrepair for years and you gather the neighbors and you say, I want to really do something with this. We're going to put some money into it and I would love your help. So you all start first cleaning it out and you cannot believe all the stuff that's in there that people have left. Uh, people have lived in there and left garbage. It's just a terrible thing. Everybody dons their gloves. You go in, you clean up the whole thing. Then you have to weed eat and uh, you, you cut the whole thing and then you replant, you, you plow up the whole thing. And actually the end result is this l beautiful little park with pavers through it, with new trees growing. And the whole neighborhood enjoys this little park that you have and benefit from it. We are trying to take you and I, our empty lot, and make it into a beautiful park. But you can't make it into a beautiful park unless you get rid of all the stuff that was there. And that's our life, putting to death the deeds of the body and 
in Galatians, Paul talks about that. Then he goes into the fruit of the spirit. We're nurturing a beauty, the beauty in our life as we're putting away the ugliness of our lives. He says in Colossians 3, put to death sexual immorality and impurity, evil desire, covetousness, anger, wrath, obscene talk. Put on a heart of compassion and kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, forgiving each other. So you want your life dominated by these beautiful fruits, not dominated by the trash of self. And that's what God gives us the grace to do. Now I was at the U-Haul yesterday and I was waiting, waiting on another customer and the lady who's behind the desk's daughter was there and she was a pistol, right? She's wound up and throwing things and jumping here and there and engaging me and whatever. So she got up on the boxes, which, you know, a large area, at least this big, maybe a little bigger, at different levels, the flat boxes, you know, ready to go out. And she would run around. One time she ran up to the edge and she says, I don't want to fall because then I would get dead. I said, yeah, you might. And I mean, she's making me nervous, you know, running around. And uh, then one time, and I, I didn't want to pull her off in front of her mother, but um, one time she was running and she fell and she fell though onto the card, cardboard. And she said, good I didn't fall off. I might dead myself. Hmm, that's true. And I love that phrase because I think that captures what Paul is saying here. We've all got to dead ourselves. We've all got to dead those parts of us that are opposed to God. But if we think of it as part of our sonship, part of our belonging to God, part of our becoming beautiful and becoming like God, then it's a wonderful thing, a necessary thing for us. Finally, family. We've got obligation. We've got death. We've got family. You see, this is connected, this verses 12 and 13 about putting to death the deeds of the body. For those who are led by the Spirit are sons of God, are children of God. In other words, those who are so led by the Spirit to put to death sin, these are the children. It's a way of saying this is what children do. This is, what, this is how they live. They love their father. They have an affection for their father. They know they're accepted and loved by their father and they call him Abba, father. They're not opposed to him. They want to be in line with him. They want to bring honor to him. So they put sin to death. That's what children get to do. That's what, how children are changed to be like that. The same childhood trust that says Abba Father is the childhood, childlike trust that puts sin to death because it opposes this father. They love this 
Father. We know he loves us, and this enables us to go after our sin. So refusing sin and putting death, uh, sin to death is an aspect of our believing and trusting God. It's just a part of our adoption. It's a package deal, adoption and annihilation. <laughs> they go together. So the Spirit leads us in the way of this full life obedience, transforming us full throttle into the image of Jesus. And there's a negative aspect of that, and there's a positive aspect of that. It's necessary. And it's interesting that putting sin to death is later paralleled by our suffering with him. Because so much of putting sin to death is a suffering. The fact that we have to put it to death shows how strong the desires can be. Sometimes it, it, you're dealing with things you've done your whole life, dealing with things that you have kind of a private thing with your jealousy or your anger. You feed off of it. You almost depend upon it. Or, or maybe it's a, a habit of some kind. We can misuse anything. It could be substance abuse, but it could be entertainment abuse or sports abuse or food abuse or whatever. And all of these things, the fact that it, we have to put them to death shows how strong they can be. And the fact that it's only by the Spirit shows how strong they can be. And many times our putting sin to death has to do with being rejected by people has to do with our suffering in this world. So these two things of, of suffering in order that we might be glorified with him, putting sin to death that we might live with him, they're coupled together. Putting to death anything in us, uh, even relishing personal precious relationships that might be sacrificed if I follow his will. Well, I have to put that to death. We trust him for our end, our final glory. And so, having our eyes fixed upon that, we're willing to lose whatever he calls us to lose in this life. And I want to speak a final word to those of you who may not be, be Christians. Because everything we're saying here, the fact that the Spirit would be working us, in us, is all done through the death and life of Jesus Christ and in no other way. Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection and ascension to heaven are the reason, is the reason the Holy Spirit has been poured in our life. Jesus suffered eternal punishment so that you might have the Spirit to constantly grow you and put sin to death in your life and cause you to cultivate the fruit of the Spirit. Think of the cost that Jesus has exerted so that you might have the Spirit in yourself. And the cross is, uh, is difficult because the cross indicates punishment. And Jesus was being punished on our behalf. He did nothing wrong. We've done so many things wrong. We've been against God. He died in our place. But that's something that the cross announces and magnifies, you need 
salvation from your sin. You must have one who's punished for you. That's how serious your sin is. At the same time, it announces there is mercy and forgiveness through this death. So both of those things break our heart if the Holy Spirit applies it in this way. So that I'm broken over how serious my sin is that one had to die and be cast away from God in order for me to be delivered. And yet this was done for me so that I might receive forgiveness. And so the cross comes to us with both death and life. It's almost like you've been on a mission field, cut off from all communication. You come home, you find out that your mother had stage four cancer, but then you find out she's fully healed. It's like a brush with death and deliverance. And the cross is announcing your brush with death and yet the possibility of you being delivered. The cross announces God must come to us. We can in no way come to God. The cross comes to us as we're living our sinful life and interrupts it with grace. We don't change ourselves, purge ourselves, discipline ourselves and somehow get closer to God. He finds us in the midst of our rebellion and interrupts our rebellion with his grace. I'd like to quote a few words from a popular theologian, Taylor Swift. Um, she wrote a recent song, Antihero, which she thinks is one of her best, I agree. And she is so honest in this uh, song. She says at one point, did you hear my, did you hear my covert narcissism, which I disguise as altruism? That is, we like to disguise the fact that we're out for ourselves with some show that we love others. Well, the cross meets you right there in your hypocrisy and your lies and your and my being two-faced and not wanting people to know what we really are and how we really live and what we really think and feel. And she calls herself anti-hero because like if you've seen the series, I've only seen a few episodes, but if you've seen the series Breaking Bad, he was certainly the main character, but certainly an anti-hero as he gets worse and worse and worse, slides into destruction. She's calling herself that. And at one point she says, I should not be left to my own devices. They come with prices and vices and I end up in crisis. And then to her fans and others, she's saying, uh, it must be exhausting to root for the anti-hero, which is me, right? Well, the gospel comes to us and says to every one of us, you're the anti-hero. You're running your life and what, however you choose to live your life outside of God and opposed to God with no reference to God, it will just descend into final destruction. He knows that's the case. He's not waiting for you to fix it. He's come to fix it. 
He's come to offer you his forgiveness and then to offer you the riches of a Holy Spirit dwelling within you, changing you from the inside out so that by God's grace, you can have completely different motives, completely different ways of thinking about things, completely different desires by the working of his great power. What a salvation we have in Christ. Let us pray. Father, I pray that you would draw anyone who does not know Christ to Christ for forgiveness of sin, for transformation. I pray that they would see the critical importance of giving their lives up to this one who alone can rescue them from death and bring them into everlasting life. Oh Lord, work in all of our hearts that we will be set upon the path of putting to death all in our lives that opposes you. Bring beauty into our life, O oh Lord. We pray for, you in the, for the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen.